listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Three big mistakes that people make with God. Now you're probably asking, why do I, I don't want to know about mistakes people make with God. I'm not just going to tell you the mistakes. I'm going to show you how to avoid these mistakes. How about that? More importantly, it's not my opinion, it's what God says in His Word. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13 in our Father's Word. We've reached a milestone. We are now halfway through the Gospel of Luke. How about that? Halfway through. And the beauty of preaching through a book of the Bible is that when we preach through a book of the Bible, we cannot fudge, we cannot take license, we can't preach or teach about God selectively. We have to let it all unfold, let it all hang out, so to speak, and then it's up to us to adjust our lives, adjust our thinking accordingly. So this is a huge milestone we're at. Today we want to look at three big mistakes you can make with God and how to avoid them. Luke chapter 13, there were some present at that very time who had told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Look with me at this first section. We have an abomination and we have a devastation. We have an abomination. Apparently, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman leader who was over the Galileans, mixed some of the blood of the people with the Jewish sacrifice. This is an abomination for a Jewish person, an abomination to the practice of the nation of Israel. And Pilate did it on purpose to stick it in their faces. And this is something that the Jewish people are wondering about. Does this mean that God was punishing the people because of that situation? It's an abomination. On top of that, they have a devastation. Apparently, there was a tower that was there. This is the Facebook headline of the day. Did you hear about the tower in Siloam? Did you hear about the blood of the human beings that Pilate caused to be intermingled with the sacrifice? of the Galileans. Did you hear about that? This would have made the headlines. There's a devastating event that occurred. A tower fell on 18 people. Look at the historical record here in the Bible. It is meant to be a historical account of what actually happened, the news of the day. 
So we have an abomination that has taken place, a devastation that has taken place, and the question that the Jewish person would be asking is the same question that you ask all the time, same question that I ask all the time. Why is it that your people suffer harm, suffer difficulty? Why is it that quote-unquote good people go through difficult circumstances. These people wanted to offer sacrifices, but it was an abomination to mix human blood with those sacrifices. Why? All these people wanted to do was worship God. All these people wanted to do was honor him. If this is the area of Siloam where the pool of Siloam was, which is affiliated in the scriptures with healing, why would somebody who's trying to get close to the air, where God is moving, an area of healing, be subject to having a tower fall on them. That seems contradictory. Come on, God, where are you? Well, the question arises, maybe the reason why is because these people have sin in their lives. Jesus knows what's on their thoughts, knows what's on their minds, and says, speaks right to the issue, verse 3. Well, we'll go with verse 2. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The first big mistake that you can make with God is to assume that the suffering, the difficulty, the hardship that other people are experiencing is because they are bigger sinners than you are. The first mistake, it's a big mistake, it's massive, be careful you don't commit it, and if you're in the midst of committing it, or if you find yourself ever being tempted to commit it, you have to stop right there. Stop everything. Take your thought captive. Don't be like the people in Jesus' day who assumed the wrong thing, that bad things happen to people because they're worse sinners than I am. See, the worst thing that you can do, the worst thing that I can do, the worst thing that you can do is to assume that bad things happen to people because they are worse sinners than you are, worse sinners than I am. You know why we do that? Do you know when we do that? When we compare ourselves to each other. See, the problem is that your standard and my standard is far short of God's standard. The standard that you tend to use, you tend to gravitate toward in your own life is not God's standard. So stop using a standard that does not count. In fact, if you continue to use the standard that does not count and you make that mistake, it will have consequences for your whole walk with God. Look with me at the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans 3, 23. Here's the standard. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look what it says. Not some have sinned, a few have sinned, most have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the bullseye that God says we must hit. We must hit God's bullseye or we are missing no matter how close we might think we are. God's bullseye is perfection. God's bullseye is flawlessness. Which of us has hit that bullseye? 
Who among us has hit God's bullseye? Who among us can look at that scripture and say, I've not sinned. I don't fall short of the glory of God. God can look at me and find me meeting up to his standard. Which of us has not fallen short of the glory of God? Which of us has an exception clause to the word of God? God's standard is perfection. It is flawlessness. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's standard, the glory of God, the perfectness, holiness, flawlessness, And look at this in verse 24 of Romans 3. And are justified, made just as if we've never sinned. Seen by God, it's a legal term where God pronounces innocence where there should be guilt. That's what justified means. It's a legal term that God has justified you. The gavel has come down where God says innocent where there's absolute guilt absolute responsibility but we are justified we are declared just as if we've not sinned by his undeserved favor his grace as a gift look at that phrase it's a double whammy undeserved favor as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus is there any mention of you and I doing something to get that Paul is going out of his way to help us understand that we are justified as a fact of undeserved favor as a gift through what Jesus did, through the redemption, the buying back of you that is in Christ Jesus. Do not make the assumption that other people's difficulties and hardships are because they are worse sinners than you. When you do that, you are comparing yourself to other people. And you cannot do that because the standard of other people doesn't matter. God's not interested in your title or mine. He's not interested in what schooling you have or don't have. He doesn't look at me more favorably because I happen to be in the position of being the lead pastor. Doesn't look more favorably upon the elders or the deacons or a Sunday school teacher. Doesn't look more favorable upon anybody. He's not comparing you to Mother Teresa or to the Pope or the leader of the Anglican Church. He's not. He's not comparing you to the missionary who's off on a remote part of the world doing the will of God while you're here in the United States of America. For all you know, the missionary in the other part of the world might be serving God out of guilt rather than being led by the Holy Spirit. See, the solution to assuming that somebody else's difficulties and hardships are because they're worse sinners is to stop comparing yourself to other people and start comparing yourself to God's standard, which is perfection and flawlessness. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Last time I checked, that includes me. That includes you. Every single one of us has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Don't make the big mistake. It's a huge one of thinking that God is going to compare you to your mother or your father or your children or to your neighbor or coworker or pastor or elders or the person you see on television. God's not comparing you to any of those people. He's comparing you to his son, Jesus Christ. God's standard is perfection and it's flawlessness. And see, when we start comparing ourselves to each other, 
we go down a dangerous road of assuming that things that are happening in the lives of other people are because they're worse sinners than we are. No. Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're all in the same boat, rowing in the same direction, and that boat is opposed, diametrically opposed to the direction of God in our lives, to the will, purpose, plan, the mind, the heart of God. All of us are at a place in our lives where we do our own thing, we like doing our own thing, we unapologetically pursue our own motives, our own desires, our own passions. That's what we do by nature. That's what we do. But there has to ha- something has to happen in our lives. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. Something has to happen in our lives where we make a change. And this is what Ephesians chapter 2 helps us understand. We are all in the same boat, rowing in the same direction. And let me tell you something, by nature, by default, we're rowing in the wrong direction. We're following me, myself, and I, not the living and true God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead. Dead means dead. It doesn't mean you're in the critical care unit almost about to die. It doesn't mean that you're wounded. It doesn't mean that you're half asleep or half awake or just have a, a bit of a weak pulse. It means you were dead, spiritually dead, apart from God, separate from God. We all inherit the sin of Adam. We're all guilty. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here, Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses, dead in the trespasses and sins. Verse 2, Ephesians chapter 2, in which you once walked, past tense. You used to do this. You used to walk following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, the prince of the power of the air, a phrase, a title used in regard to Satan. And look how they are in bed together, hand in glove, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The world and the devil work together to oppose God. And you too were dead in your trespasses, dead in your sins, and you used to follow the pattern of this world, the course of this world. You used to, if you are a Christ follower, if you are a Christian, if you're born again, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you too used to follow the devil. You used to follow the world. You had no choice. That's what you did because dead people follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who continue to be disobedient. That phrase, sons of disobedience. But you see what has to happen. Jesus says, unless you too repent, you will also perish. What has to happen in a, in a, a real time in our lives, at some point in your life, there has got to be the reality of that six-letter word in your life, R-E-P-E-N-T. You have to repent. Jesus says, unless you do, you too will perish, every single one of you. God is no respecter of persons, whether it's the Galileans, the other Jews, Gentiles, no respecter of persons. God calls everyone everywhere, each and every single one of us, to repent. And there's got to be a point in your life, a time in your life, where you said no to the prince of the power of the air. You said no to the world, and you said yes to the living and true God, Jesus Christ. There's got to be a moment in your life where you say no and you say yes. A moment where you change your mind. A moment where for the first time you change your heart. And that is what changes your direction. 
That's what repentance is. That's what this word means, to repent. It means to change your mind and to change your heart so that you have a change in your direction, your life. You do an absolute 180. You do a 180 where before you were following the prince of the power of this air, the spirit who is now at work, continues to be at work in the sons of disobedience, but not you, not me, not those who give our lives to Christ. We are to be characterized not by disobedience, but by obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what repentance is. And there must be, Jesus says, there must be a moment where for the first time you repent unless you will perish. There must be a moment in your life, every single one of us, where we repent for the very first time, say no to the devil, no to this world, no to ourselves, and we say yes to Jesus. Do not make the assumption that bad things happen to people because they're worse sinners. No, we're all sinners. Every single one of us, regardless of who we are, God is no respecter of persons. Every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us was dead in our trespasses, in our transgressions. All, all of us, every single one of us had no choice but to follow the Spirit, follow the devil, the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient, don't make the mistake. It's a big mistake of assuming that what somebody is going through is because they are a worse sinner than you are. No, the reason why difficulties happen in life, listen, the reason why difficulties happen in life, the reason why there's hardship, the reason why a tower can fall on people and kill them, the reason why abominations happen to people who are trying to worship God, the reason why difficulties happen is because every single one of us is living outside of Eden. Every single one of us living outside of Eden. We were booted out of the garden, booted out of the presence of God, booted out of paradise. And haven't you noticed that this world, no matter how good it might get, is not nearly as good, come on, not nearly as good as paradise? Isn't there something within you, a longing and a desire to get out of this place? Because you know that this is not paradise. This is paradise lost. And every single one of us is outside of Eden. That's why bad things happen to people. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the consequence of sin is suffering. A consequence of sin is hardship. Every single one of us don't make the big mistake of assuming and thinking that what other, what's happening to somebody else, the difficulties that they're going through is because they're a worse sinner than me. Jesus says, no, it's not about comparing ourselves to other people. It's about comparing yourself to God's standard, which is perfection. And does that not level the playing field? Number two, look at what Jesus is saying here through this situation with the Galileans, this situation with the tower falling. You've got to be careful that you don't make the big mistake, the big mistake of belittling your own sin and your need to repent. Be really careful that you don't belittle the significance of your own sin and the need to repent. To put it another way, don't make the assumption don't make the assumption that the difficulties and the hardship that you're going through in your life has nothing to do with sin in your life, has nothing to do with God disciplining you and working in your life to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. 
Don't belittle the significance of sin in your own life or God's requirement that you repent, that I repent, and that we keep repenting as the regular method, the regular way we go about our lives. Don't belittle sin. Don't make that big mistake. And you might say to yourself, but Mike, isn't that a contradiction? I mean, how can it possibly be that Jesus says, no, it's not because there were sinners. Everybody's in the same boat, rowing in the same direction. All sinners falling short of the glory of God. Well, how can you turn around now and say that there can be difficulties and hardships that come into our lives that are because of sin? The reason I can say that is because that's what the Bible teaches. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's an example where they're having communion together. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look it up in your own Bible. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, the body of Jesus, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the world, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Yes, you can go through difficulty and hardship in your life as a consequence of belittling the sin that you're aware of. So the first thing you need to do to avoid the belittling of sin in your own life, to avoid that, to deal with that, is to do what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, examine yourself. God's not holding a carrot out in front of any of us. He's given us the Holy Spirit, those of us who have given our lives to Christ, that the solution is really simple. Surrender to the Lord. Let him examine you. Examine yourself. The psalmist said, see if there's any wicked way in me. If we examine ourselves, if we judge ourselves, then we won't incur the judgment of God. What happened there in Corinthians is that when they would go together and have the Lord's Supper, have communion, because they were eating it in an inappropriate way, some of them were sick, they had physical illnesses as a direct result of their sin. Some of them had died because they refused to repent, R-E-P-E-N-T. They had refused to repent. And because they refused to repent, what happens is God is patient. He's long-suffering. But if God gives warning, and God gives warning, and God gives warning, eventually the patience of God, who defines patience, who embodies patience, it has a limit, as we'll see in a moment. The patience of God has a limit. You don't want to test the patience of God. Be careful you don't make the mistake of belittling the possibility that sin has brought trouble and difficulty and hardship into your life. If you will judge yourself, if you will let the Spirit of God probe you and search you and examine you, you will avoid the difficulty and the hardship that results when there is disobedience. But not just that. It's not just the idea of examining yourself, the possibility of sin, doing damage and wreaking havoc. There's also this issue of God disciplining those he loves. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Don't despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. And then we go to the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, which puts Proverbs chapter 3 in its context. 
Beginning in verse 5, Hebrews 12. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is not a sexist term. In the culture of the day, to be called the son of God was to have a position of favor, a position of intimacy, a position of honor. We could easily say today, children. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or children? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't belittle it. Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son, every child whom he receives. Don't you understand that the discipline in your life that God is trying to perform is evidence, it is proof that you have been received by God? Should I close in prayer right now? The discipline that's happening in your life is because God has settled the matter with you. You have been received by him. Sigh of relief, open arms, embraced, accepted. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good as a matter of practice that we may share in his holiness. Do you understand that that's the bullseye God wants to continually hit in your life? The devil wanted to be like God as the center of attention. God wants you to be like him as a matter of character, holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit. That word again, fruit. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. In other words, so that we don't add insult to injury. When God is moving in your life, when God is disciplining you, when you're going through hardship and you're at the end of your rope, you're at the bottom of your barrel and you feel like you can endure it no more, God has received you as his son. The discipline that you're going through proves, testifies to the fact that you're related to him. That is the best news you could possibly hear. God disciplines those he loves. He's treating you as a legitimate heir, as somebody who has favor and relationship with him. Why? Because he wants to change you. He wants to conform you to his likeness. He wants to change the world through you as a byproduct of him changing you. That's what it's all about. When you're at the end of your rope, the bottom of your barrel, when you feel like you can't take any more, God is disciplining you because he loves you, because he receives you, because we're not like him. We need to be changed. See, it's not just about repenting once and for all. It's that repentance leads to repentance. Repentance leads to repentance. 
When we give our lives to Christ and say no to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work and the sons of disobedience, when we say no to the world, when we say no to ourselves, that begins a new direction. And that is a lifestyle that is completely different than the lifestyle we would otherwise live. How do you know whether or not somebody is truly a follower of Jesus Christ? How do you know? Because they live differently than they otherwise would. They live differently than they used to. They bear different fruit. Be careful you don't make assumptions about the difficulties in other people's lives. That's a big mistake and think that it's because they're worse sinners than you. No, the level field, the the playing field is level. The playing field is level at the foot of the cross. We're all sinners, all fall short of the glory of God. What we need to do is stop comparing ourselves to each other and start comparing ourselves to God's standard. Number two, the big mistake you could make is belittling sin in your own life or making light of the Lord's discipline that God uses, the difficult situations in his life, the hardships in your life and mine as allies, not adversaries to conform you to the image of Jesus. So you need to, the solution for belittling what's happening in your life and thinking that it's insignificant, the solution is to see your troubles and your difficulties and your hardships as allies, not adversaries. Stop running away from the things that are happening in your life and start seeing them as divinely given opportunities to get you to be more like Jesus in ways that you wouldn't be like because what needs to happen is a lifestyle of repentance. You and me left alone on our own, we will not pursue God. You and me left alone, we will not deliberately try to pursue holiness and to try to be like Jesus in character. But God's solution for that is to take all of us who are living outside of Eden, to take all of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ and not just have us repent once and for all, but that opens the door to a lifestyle of repentance because the third mistake you could make is to forget to forget that repentance leads to repentance. Repentance leads to repentance, and if you are not embracing repentance as a lifestyle, you've forgotten. You have forgotten what the Christian life is all about. You've forgotten why you were created in the first place to reflect the glory of God, and to spread the aroma of Christ, which is the sweetest aroma that anybody could ever spread. It is the aroma that the world needs to smell. The world needs to see the hands and feet of Jesus, and the way the world sees the hands and feet of Jesus is through people, ordinary people, regular people whose lives have changed. They've repented, and now they're living in a lifestyle of repentance. Make no mistake about it. Don't forget. Don't commit that third mistake. It's a biggie. Don't forget that repentance leads to repentance. The new way that you're supposed to live your life when you give your life to Christ, the fundamental characteristic, listen, the fundamental difference in the life of a person who's given their life to Christ is that they are now embracing and walking in and maturing in a lifestyle of repentance. That must be the characteristic of your life. And if it's not, you have forgotten. You're making a big mistake. It's a massive mistake. 
You don't want to make that mistake. See, repentance leads to repentance. Look with me at Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus said it earlier in this gospel account. Luke chapter 3, verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Huh? This idea of fruit, the teaching in the scripture about fruit being correlated to a work of God, a movement of God, by their fruits you shall know them. Jesus talking about the fig tree and about the need to bear fruit. And here Jesus again, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. In other words, you repent and that leads you to bear different fruit. Repentance leads to repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God's able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Be careful that you don't think that your position with God, your title with God, how you've served God in the past, gives you a special privilege and an exception clause where God has a level playing field. These people were Jews And most of us listening right now, whether we're here live or whether we're listening by podcast, the majority of us are not Jews. We are Gentiles. These people were in a more favored position. And Jesus says, I don't care who you are by your ancestry. I require repentance, period. A lifestyle of repentance. It's essential. It's necessary. God makes no exceptions. He's not going to make an exception clause for me as your pastor, I could be out of the picture tomorrow. And then you'll all be wondering, was it because he was a worse sinner than us? You have to listen to this message again and figure out why I'm out of the picture. God has no respect for persons and what's being driven home here. God's requirement, not a suggestion. That repentance must lead to repentance. Look with me at Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5 in our Father's word. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. What does a repentant lifestyle look like? It bears the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In the right circumstance, the right fruit will be born. Repentance leads to repentance. Don't make the mistake of forgetting that. That's a big mistake. That your life, that my life is to be characterized fundamentally, not as just a one-time decision to follow Christ, but that decision where it happened in real history in your personal pilgrimage. And if it hasn't yet, it needs to happen. That needs to give birth to a whole new way of doing things that you bear fruit. Now look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 13 with this parable of the fig tree. Verse 6. He told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. He said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, let it, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, and if not, you can cut it down. Be careful you don't tempt the patience of God 
and miss what is clearly taught in the scriptures that God's patience has a limit. Fruit is important to God. The fruit of repentance is important. It's the evidence of whether or not you've really repented in the first place, whether or not I've really repented. There's got to be a lifestyle that's different. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 14, that's the passage that we read about God disciplining his sons. If we continue in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace, make an effort. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace, the undeserved favor of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. There is a limitation on the patience of God. There's nothing worse than seeing somebody who's grown up in the church, been involved in ministry, had many years of track record, many years of service to the Lord, and then at the end of their life is stricken with bitterness. You ever meet somebody who's bitter? Defiling many people, doing as much damage with the root of bitterness as they, they did, and sometimes worse damage than what they've done in their walk with the Lord prior. And they were warned in Scripture, regardless of your position, regardless of what you've done in the past, be careful that you are not defiled by a, by a root of bitterness, which will in turn defile others. See, in the same way that repentance is followed by repentance, a bitter root produces the wrong kind of fruit. And Esau wept and pled and begged, and yet he could bring about no change in what God had decided. Be careful that you don't tempt God. You don't push the envelope thinking that the grace of God is something that it really isn't, taking advantage of God and thinking that it's something that it isn't. The patience of God does have a limitation, and only God knows when it's your last chance. Only God knows when there will not be an opportunity to bring about a change. Your job and mine is to remember and not to forget that repentance leads to repentance. See, if you're not walking in perpetual repentance, you are out of character with God. If you're not walking in perpetual repentance, you're out of step with God. If you're not walking in perpetual repentance, you are out of your mind for God. Because true repentance, biblical repentance, is to have a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change in lifestyle. That's what repentance is. Repentance is to have a change of mind, a change of heart that leads to a change in your lifestyle where you are no longer doing what you used to do the way you used to do it, no longer thinking the way you used to think, the way, and then doing the things that come as an overflow of thinking in those ridiculous ways, following the prince of the power of this world, the spirit who continues to be at work in the sons of disobedience, people who are not following God. Don't make the assumption that other people are worse sinners than you and I are. We're all in the same boat apart from the grace of Almighty God. Don't make that big mistake. 
Don't make that big mistake of thinking that my sin is not significant and what's happening in my life is not significant and God doesn't require me to respond and exegete, interpret the events that are happening in my life because God is interested in your character, your holiness, your Christ-likeness. Don't belittle either sin and don't make light, don't belittle the disciplinary work of God in your life because God has received you as a child. And thirdly, don't forget, don't ever forget it. Don't make the big mistake. Don't forget that repentance leads to repentance. And your life and mine, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, must be characterized by living more and more like Jesus, by reflecting the glory of God that he saved you for and he saved me for in the first place. Don't make any mistake about it. Don't make the three big mistakes that you otherwise would if you didn't follow what God teaches in his word. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit couragematters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.